the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following broadcast is brought to you by Sons of God International and Freedom Fellowship Church. Hello, and welcome to the prophetic voice of our time, where we focus on the voice of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our host, Christina Sasso, is a senior pastor at Freedom Fellowship Church. Let's hear what she has to say to the body of Christ. Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in. This is Joshua Sasso, and you are listening to the prophetic voice of our time. So um, this week, before we start the message, well, to start, we're going to be talking about the life of David and how it applies to the time that we're in right now. But before we begin that, I have to give a little bit of context, I guess. For the past several weeks at Freedom Fellowship, you know, we've been talking about how God is setting up the church to be in a position to where we're going to subdue nations and and overtake kingdoms in order to establish the kingdom of God. And when we say that, we don't necessarily mean nations in the political sense, although God is turning nations, political nations, towards Christ. That is also happening. But when we refer to nations and to kingdoms and establishing the kingdom of God in those nations and kingdoms, we don't just mean it to political nations, but we also are referring to how God is sending people in the body of Christ to the media industries, to the entertainment industries, to the technology industries. Those are nations that he is positioning the body of Christ to subdue them and to establish the kingdom of God in those areas. So we've been talking about the transfer of wealth, right? The transfer of influence and affluence. So that the transfer of wealth, influence, and affluence is God transitioning, right? Influence in the media, influence in education, influence in technology away from the world system and into his kingdom. So in this message, when we talk about, you know, subduing nations and conquering nations, we have to think about things in that context as well. So Hopefully, this helps you guys understand as we get into this. So we're going to be going into a sermon about the life of David that was shared last Sunday. So enjoy, and I pray that you all, that this all touches you and your hearts wherever you may be. So we've been talking about, we're preparing, right? We're preparing to enter the promised land, and we're preparing to subdue nations, subdue kingdoms, right? That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been preparing for. So we're going to talk a little bit about King David, and the reason why is because there's a lot that we have to learn from the life of David. We're not going to go over, you know, the David and Goliath story. I'm sure you've all heard it a million times. But we know David, right? He started at a humble beginnings. He started, he was a shepherd, He was a shepherd. And it's interesting because when Samuel came to anoint David, his own family didn't even consider him worthy of being anointed as king. Samuel shows up and he's like, bring all your sons out. You know, bring all your sons out and I'm going to anoint one of your sons as king. 
So the father, David's father, he brings out all of his sons, except for David. He's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. He's the youngest. He's the shepherd. He's tending to the sheep. Samuel's not going to bother with him anyway, right? That's what his own father thought of him. So, you know, Samuel, he goes through, looks through all the sons. And Samuel, even in his own mind, the prophet was thinking, oh, like it's going to be the oldest because he's big and he's tall and he's handsome and charismatic, right? But God said, no. I'm not going to anoint him because I look at the heart. So he says, well, is this all your sons? Is this, and I'm paraphrasing, right? He's like, We're, you know, are these all your sons? And David's father says, oh, well, we got the youngest son, David. He's out in the fields. We didn't think, we didn't want to bother you because it wasn't really worth it anyway. <laughs> you know, that's what his own father thought of David. But Samuel tells him like, we're not going to eat. We're not going to rest until he comes here. So he brings in David, and God immediately speaks to Samuel. This is the one who's anointed king over Israel. Well, what happened to David after he was anointed king over Israel? The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, but he went right back to the sheep. (laughs) Right? He got this big prophecy, right, this big prophetic word, and he went right back to his daily job, right, clocking in nine to five. Right. Working, you know, working as a secretary, working as an accountant, doing whatever his day to day job. Nothing changed. His family didn't see him any different. His co-workers or in in David's case, the sheep didn't see him any different. (laughs) Right. He was the same. But God had ordained him and he knew that God had ordained him. But this story is significant because David remained faithful, right, in the task that God had given him. He was still praising God. He still was being a good shepherd, right? He was being productive in his field. And many of us have a yearning, right? It's like, God, I know you've called me for more than this. We feel like we've been herding the sheep for years and decades, right? And it's like, God, you called me to this, right? But we have to remain faithful where we're at. David remained faithful until the appointed time. And it's interesting because not only was he faithful, but he actually established dominion where he was as a shepherd, right? When the lion showed up, he fought off the lion, right? He didn't allow the lion to take the sheep or take dominion. When the bear came, he fought off the bear. You see, even in our what we view as our lowly position, we have to take dominion where we're at right now. And so after he was shepherding for a while, right, a couple of David's brothers were sent to the battle, to battle for King Saul. And they were battling against the Philistines. And they were there for weeks and weeks. And then David's father's like, hey, David, send some food out. You know, here, bring this food out to your brothers to help them out with the war effort. And David's like, oh, sweet. Like, I get to see. You know, he's just, he's a teenager, right? He just, he just wanted to see a battle. You know what I mean? He wanted to be away from the sheep and he wanted to see some action. So he's like, yeah, send me to the front line. I'm ready. And he, get out, he went out to the front lines, right, where they were battling the Philistines, and he saw the people of God afraid and terrified. And that's where God provided an opportunity for David to begin stepping in to his calling. So as we know the story, he confronts Goliath. He wasn't afraid of Goliath because he knew the Lord was with him. But that was the first giant he slayed. Now, he slayed, you know, the lion. He slayed the bear, and then he slayed the giant, Right? Those were also in effect. I mean, because a bear, a bear's not like small. You know, it's not like Winnie the Pooh that you see in the cartoons, okay? <laughs> a bear, I mean, bears can, I'm pretty sure they can get up to like, they can run up to 40 miles an hour. One swipe will kill you. Single swipe, kill you, dead. I mean, they can rip you apart, but he slayed the bear to protect his sheep 
Goliath was slain just like that bear. And so David finally made a name for himself, right? Or started to make a name for himself. And then following his slaying of Goliath, what did he do? Well, he was brought in as a servant for Saul, the very man that he was supposed to replace, right? And now David didn't become embittered, right? He didn't become bitter. He didn't become resentful and be like, that's my throne, right? He knew that God said that you're going to be king over Israel, right? But he didn't become bitter, resentful, and say, that's my throne. That belongs to me. He was a good servant. He was a faithful servant, right? Even as he served Saul, even as Saul plotted to kill him, (laughs) right? Because Saul began to recognize that the hand of God was on David when the hand of God had left him, right? He became envious. That's something also that's very unfortunate because you even see that in the church where a spiritual leader will tear down their disciples because they see the anointing of God working in them. That's horrible. That's wicked. But it comes from that resentment and bitterness towards God because when the anointing has left them, they become resentful towards those who have the anointing, right? Because it's what they've lost. It's what they've lost. They no longer operate in it. And as we know, Saul, he fell from the anointing because of pride, right? He decided that he knew better than God, and he disobeyed God. So David, he remained faithful. Remained faithful when he was shepherding the sheep. He remained faithful when he was a servant to Saul. He remained faithful even as Saul was trying to kill him, right? And all those things, he left his trust in God. And there's an important mindset to David's mindset that we have to take account of, which is that David recognized, I'm not going to be the one to put myself on the throne. He recognized God was going to open the door for me to be on the throne, right? He recognized I'm not going to make it myself. I'm not going to do it my own way. He recognized that God was going to make the way for him. So when we're, you know, when we feel like we're slaving away on that nine to five job and we try to make something happen, right? It's like, oh, well, that promotion needs to happen now, right? Or I need to go into full-time ministry. I'm going to quit and I'm going to go into full-time ministry, right? We're trying to make something happen without the leading of God, right? And that happens with everything, with our personal relationships, you know, with our finances, with our own business, right? So we have to recognize that God is going to be the one to establish our kingdom, that God's going to be the one to lead us to the promised land. And when we do that, then we can focus on being faithful where we're at right now, establishing dominion where we're at right now, right? So we know the story. Saul pursued David, and then David spared Saul, and then Saul felt bad, and they went back, and then he changes his mind and wants, decides he wants to kill David again, and this back and forth, back and forth. I'm going to kill David. No, I'm not going to kill David. No. Until eventually Saul died, right? Saul died at the hand of Israelites' enemies, right? And he actually fell on his own sword because he was surrounded on all sides, him and Jonathan. So David gets word that Saul dies. So here's what's happened, right? A new opportunity is opened. The throne has nobody sitting on it, okay? And if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, so now this door of opportunity is opened up, right? But what does David do? So 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked? And the Lord said, go up, right? 
Now, many of us, when we're operating in the flesh, when we see that door open, we're like, oh, the throne is empty. I'm going to go sit on it now, right? I'm going to go make claim to what belongs to me now, right? But what did David do? He said, well, God, should I go to Judah? Should I go here? What should I do? You remember the story of the widow who Elisha told her to get right all those jars and fill them up with oil, right? And then she gets all those jars and they, she gets tons of jars filled with oil, right? Worth, worth thousands and millions of dollars, okay? She gets all of that oil and what does she do? She doesn't assume what she's supposed to she, The door of opportunity is already open for her, right? The door of opportunity already open for her. But she didn't assume. She went back to the prophet and he said, prophet, I obeyed you. Now what? Right? And that's the attitude that we have to take. God, this door is opened for me. What should I do about this? Should I take this opportunity, God? Should I go here? So, as you can see in the verse, so he asks him, shall I go to one of the towns of Judah? And the Lord said, go up. And David said, well, where shall I go? To Hebron. Lord answered. So he told him the exact city to go to. And David ends up being anointed as king over Judah after he goes there. That was the first step. But he didn't assume, right? He didn't assume. He didn't become presumptuous of what he was supposed to do. And then a couple chapters later, after there's some, some back and forth between Judah and Israel, but basically David becomes king over Judah and Israel now. Okay, and they, they establish a palace over him where he would rule from. Okay, and so after David became settled in his position as king, God sent a prophet, Nathan. Okay, and Nathan had a promise from God for David. And basically, this is what Nathan said to David with the Lord speaking through Nathan. This is Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now then. Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from the tending flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and will no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. Um, and he continues going and going. But the important part is at the beginning where he reminds David, I'm the one who took you out of the fields, right? I'm the one who took you out of shepherding those fields, and I made you king over Israel. And that's the thing we have to recognize, right? So where God's taking us, we can't forget who brought us there. He's the one. He's the one who's appointing us. He's the one who's anointing us. And when we realize that, Right? What does the scripture say? I will not boast in my own works. I will boast in Christ. I will boast in the Lord. Right? Because he's the one who made everything happen. So he should be getting the credit. Right? And you know, we're going to get, you know, riches along with it. There's benefits that come along with obeying the Lord. David, right? He was a king. He had all kinds of riches. He had all kind of dominion. Right? He had people that were willing to serve him. But David recognized that God is the one who put him there. And as long as he recognized that, he remained humble right before the Lord. 
And many of these chapters following, it, it talks about David's victories and conquests, how he had conquests against the Philistines and always won against the Philistines, against the Amorites, right? Against the Hittites. All of these enemies, he was able to conquer all of them. You know, even leading up to becoming king over Israel, he had all of these victories. And, you know, that's part of what we're doing, right? We're going to be going into the arts and entertainment, into the political sector, into the education sector. We're going to be overthrowing kingdoms, right? We talked about Joshua, you know, those 31 kings that he overthrew when he entered the promised land. That's part of what we're going to be doing, right? So David had all of these conquests, had all of these conquests, all of these victories, right? Establishing the kingdom of God. He was literally establishing the kingdom of Israel, right? So just as David was establishing the kingdom of Israel, now we'll be establishing God's kingdom, right? In every nation, in every sector of society. But, and this is the but, the victories and the conquests continued until David sinned before the Lord, right? Before, until he compromised what happened? Well, he took Bathsheba, right? We look into, this is Second Samuel chapter 11. It says in verse 1, In the spring, at a time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So David was supposed to be out continuing his conquest. He was supposed to be out expanding the kingdom of God. But he was home right? Not according to the perfect timing of the Lord. So he was just doing his own thing, enjoying the riches that God had gave him. And he saw a woman, right? He was up on the roof where he could see everything. He was up on the roof where he could see everything. And he saw a woman named Bathsheba. He asked about her and he's like, oh, well, this is the wife of your servant. He said, bring her to me, right? And he slept with her. He committed adultery. He took another man's wife. And when he felt guilty about this, he tried to get the man, right, to go sleep with his wife because she had conceived a child, right? She was pregnant, and he didn't want to be found out. He wanted to cover his sin. But the man wouldn't do it because he's like, well, all of, our, all of our brothers are out at war. Why should I enjoy my time when they're out fighting? So he was a faithful servant, so he wouldn't listen to David. So David basically conspired to kill him. He said to Joab, put him out on the front line, where it's the worst, and in the middle of the battle, withdraw away from him so he's by himself. Yeah. He murdered one of his faithful servants to cover up his sin. So the Lord was not happy with what David did, right? Not only that, but he murdered the man and then he took the woman for himself to be his wife. So the Lord sent a prophet, Nathan, to rebuke David. And David says to him, so the Lord sent Nathan to David, and this is in chapter 12. And he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. So see, David became enraged but blinded to his own sin, that he was unwilling to look at himself in the mirror. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. God said that he would have given him even more blessings. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So God recognized. He says, you murdered this man with the sword of these other people. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And from that day forward, the conquests of David, the victories of David ceased. He stopped expanding the kingdom and he basically the rest of his life was dealing with issues within his own family, putting out fires, putting out issues and problems. His own son created a coup to overthrow him from the throne, right? He had to deal with all these issues from that day forward. Now, if you remember last week, Pastor Chris, right, she told us that God would not allow his people to sin no more, right? That we would not be allowed to continue sinning. And there's a reason for that. Because God is putting us into a position where we're going to be kings over nations. We're going to be kings. We're going to be rulers. And if we compromise our conquests, our victories, they'll stop. We're not going to be able to continue. We're not going to be able to complete the task that God had for us. It's going to stop. And we're going to be dealing with putting out fires, dealing with family dramas, dealing with sicknesses, dealing with financial instability. And God doesn't want that for us. There's a reason why we've been tasked, where all of us, where there's been such an emphasis, an emphasis that we have to look at our hearts, right? We have to deal with the issues we have now, the family issues, right? The heart issues that we have now. We got to deal with them now. While we're still shepherding the sheep, we got to deal with them, right? Because if we don't deal with them now, why would we be able to handle these issues when we have nothing and assume that we'd be able to deal with it when the temptation's greater, when we have more resources, when we have servants that are willing to do anything we say, right? When we have resources to do anything we want, right? Why would we assume that our vices, our issues, our temptations, that we would be able to conquer them when we have all of that before us? No, it would be worse, right? We have to deal with our heart now because if we sin, if we compromise, when God is establishing us, we're not going to progress any further, right? Because with so much that God gives us, so much more is required of us. That's why when Moses, when he disobeyed God, that one thing, right? He struck it instead of speaking to the rock. He wasn't able to enter the promised land. He couldn't continue any further. 
Because Moses spoke to God face to face, right? Moses talked to him as a friend. So Moses knew better because God is holy. That's the thing. The thing about the move of God is that there's blessings, there's manifestations, there's miracles, but there's also the presence of God. His presence is holy, right? His presence is uncorruptible. And if we have any darkness in our heart, the move of God can't happen through us because of his holiness. And so we look at David who, who slayed Goliath, who the Philistines were terrified of, right? Who the Amorites, right? They conquered. And you can read through these chapters. It goes through all of David's victories. But as soon as he compromised before the Lord, it stopped. And he was dealing with issues in his family. He was dealing with all kinds of problems in his own kingdom. And so it's not all bad, though, because we can learn, right, from the story of David. We saw that right now God's preparing us. He's preparing to take us out of our field where we're shepherding our sheep, right? Maybe we're working our nine-to-five job where we're clocking in every day, where we, maybe you feel like you're toiling. He's preparing us to take us out of there and establish our kingdom, right? So that's something to be excited about. <laughs> that's something to be excited about, right? Amen? But we have to be respectful and have reverence for the move of God. So I encourage all of you, any issues that you haven't dealt with, we got to deal with them. We got to deal with them now. Take care of them. Because if they continue, God's not going to be able to move with us, right? All right. Well, did you guys get something out of this, yeah? Yeah? So, Lord, we thank you, God. We receive the word that you have for us, God. We thank you, God, for the call that you have on us, that you've established us to be kings, to be priests, to be business leaders, to be tycoons, to be producers, to be warriors, Lord to be financiers, God, for your gospel, for the kingdom of God. I thank you, God. We receive the word, and we will be faithful where you have put us right now, God. We will, we will listen to your leading, God. And reveal to us our hearts, Lord. Reveal to us the issues that we are dealing with right now so that we can deal with them and really, truly experience your move in its fullness, God. We want to experience the move in its fullness. This is not a revival that we want to end because we don't believe that revivals have to end, Lord. So we thank you, God. Reveal to us our hearts, and we will listen, God. We will make the corrections. We will make the changes so that we can see your kingdom made manifested here on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.